Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. It will be our 2021 year in review show. Lots to talk about. A lot happened this year. A lot good. A lot not so good. Some great. Some legendary. So we'll break it all down and we'll look back. And it's one of those things, too, you look back, sometimes you forget all the things that happened. Good, bad, or indifferent, you know, life moves on. But the reality of it is, it was a good year, Mississippi State sports. I wouldn't say a great year. Of course, we won our first national championship in a team sport. That kind of supersedes a lot of other things. But we're going to break it all down. We'll talk about it. want to congratulate Ben Howen and the Mississippi State men's basketball team taking care of Arkansas. Now, here's the thing. People say, well, you know, Arkansas didn't have our leading score. You know, at the end of the year, it's not going to matter in the standings who was there and who wasn't there. You know, we lost a couple ball games too, because Tolu Smith was in the starting lineup. That's just kind of the reality of where we are right now. Injuries, COVID, part of life. There are going to be a lot of other games that are played or not played or postponed, as you guys are well aware. Mississippi State women did not get their SEC schedule underway due to a postponement with the University of Florida. But a uh, big win for Ben Howland and the Bulldogs. And uh, that Arkansas team, too, pretty good team. And now we're both 10-3. Uh, and three. And a lot of people expected Arkansas to be, Arkansas to be pretty good this year. Muscle and those guys uh, got a great team. I loved what uh, Tolu Smith said in postgame. Made a comment about, hey, we got enough talent to win the SEC championship, and that's what we're here to do. I love it. I absolutely love it. Because here's the deal. Belief is a difficult thing to beat. When a team is talented and they believe in themselves and they believe in their mission, it is difficult to defeat them. They talk about, you know, doubt has killed more dreams than failure ever could. You know, I go back and I remember back in 1998, you guys have watched that 98 video. Maybe you young bucks haven't, but uh, used to you could buy these videos from the Mississippi State TV Center. They had the 98, uh, you know, the year we won the West, and they had the 99 year of the comeback, and they had the 2000, you know, the Snow Bowl videos, and they're great. I still have them. I don't watch them anymore because I don't have a VCR. But that 98 team, when you went back and watched it, I remember, I remember uh, I guess it was Rob Morgan that made the comments. He said, hey, one of our goals is to win the SEC West. We've never done that. And this is the team that was picked in the bottom half of the league. Many people expected the 98 Bulldogs to finish near the bottom of the standings in the SEC West. But it didn't matter what the SEC media picked. The Bulldogs went out there and did. It was outstanding. One of the greatest years in Mississippi State football history, right? You know, and uh, speaking of that kind of stuff, about saying things, there's a couple things I want to comment on, too. We talk about belief and that sort of stuff. You know, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time chasing this rabbit trail, but uh, I have seen, you know, some of these pithy takes on Twitter. And I think sometimes Twitter brings out the worst in people. But they're like, there are some people in national college football media that just simply cannot resist taking shots at coaches. It's ridiculous, man. I mean, it's like sometimes we forget our role. And I don't just mean people in the media. I mean people in general. It's like, oh, well, this is what I'm thinking. You know, not everything that crosses your mind deserves a tweet or a social media post. That's one of the worst things about social media. 
it kind of becomes diarrhea of the keyboard. It's like this streaming consciousness. And I tell you, it's kind of scary to know what's on other people's minds all the time. But, you know, you know sometimes coaches respond. And I'll be honest with you, I think as a coach, you should probably be above that sort of stuff. I mean, like if Mike Leach comes out and dunks on Dan Walken, you're going to be a lot of people like, ah, you know, I'm happy to see this. Other people are like, ah, come on, coaches. You know, let's don't do this. But, you know, the thing I think about is like, you know, if you're one of these coaches and people are always constantly talking trash about you, you ever so often you may just have had enough and respond. You know, remember years ago when uh, Mike Leach called Dan Walken from USA Today, Big Gulp Dan. Said, you know, he'll be, he'll be selling Big Gulps one day, you know. Not that that's not an honorable profession. There are a lot of people out there that uh, they're very happy to have that job at 7-Eleven. But the reality of it is, is that uh, sometimes there is a rivalry between the people of college football and then the people who cover college football. And that's the thing that I think that, uh, you know, we're not similarly situated in that respect. You know, it's like we're here to cover them, not the other way around. They're going to play the games whether we go cover them or not. And there are a lot of times there's these people that get these feelings of self-importance, and it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to be critical of this guy. You know, who are you? Who are you? Well, I've got an opinion. You know, sometimes you should keep it to yourself. That way you don't get dunked on on social media when your stuff doesn't age well and people come back and remember, hey, remember this? Remember when you said this? You know, I, I'm, I'm not a big guy on calling people out for old takes because, goodness, at some point we all have them. But I've thought about this a great deal tonight. You know, I had a good talk with the illustrious hind dog, and we were talking a little bit about that. You know, it's like, if some of these people sometimes have gotten a little big for their britches, you know, what if some of these people that were out here dunking on college football coaches, what if, what if the school just selected, you know, we're not going to credential that guy anymore? What if they did, oh, well, Steve, you can't do that. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. I'm not talking about a guy normally on the beat. But like one of these national media people, it's like, you know, at some point everybody's going to have a big ball game, right? Somebody's going to have a game of significance. And how would it be? So, well, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to credential you. Oh, well, that's kind of petty. Well, you know, sometimes you got to fight fire with fire. You know, I remember, and I won't mention people by name, but I remember, you know, when Mississippi State went to number one in the country back in 2014, and I mean, you guys remember that too. You know, there were some people that never visited this campus, ever. And then all of a sudden, you know, State's number one in the country, so it's a story of interest. People are coming. And some of the many people that were involved then that wanted access for people that had been very critical of Mississippi State and of Dan Mullen and of Starkville. And it's like now all of a sudden it's like, hey, well, you know, you guys are great. We love you guys. You know, then when the circus leaves town, now all of a sudden it's like, let's go back to, you know, Starkville is a bad place and Mississippi State's uh, antiquated and Dan Mullen's a jerk, you know. And so I just began to think to myself, why, you know, why give people permission to, you know, to crap on you you know it's one of those things like uh yeah i'm a firm believer and you know you can be you know you can be difficult or you can be credentialed you know one of the two you can't be both you know what i'm saying i'm not saying everybody's got to carry water certainly not the national media but it's like when some of these people get out here and they've got so many negative things to say like it's one thing too and I i don't think you see this in college baseball media which is amazing to me it really is. And I think the college baseball community as a, a media entity is, uh, is very friendly for the most part. Not as many of those guys. And I think a lot of people appreciate the coverage for college baseball because we all love that sport because we excel at it. 
But you don't see that. You know, it's one thing for like Kendall Rogers, who I respect immensely. It's like one thing for him to say, hey, you know, I think Mississippi State's going to be rebuilding this year. Maybe they're fourth or fifth best in the West. But I never see Kendall Rogers out there saying, oh, you know, Chris Simonis is a jerk. You know, or why are they doing this? You know, it's like they would never, ever say anything. And I think a lot of it is because they're so appreciative of the access. And so when I think about some of these people that are just so downright snooty and snarky in the college football media, maybe they need less access. And maybe they'll appreciate the opportunities that are in front of them. And I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, when, uh, when I fill out those credential requests for our guys at uh, jeanspage.com, you know, I always expect to get everybody credentialed, but I don't ever take it for granted either. It's very important to us to be able to go cover games home and away. It's very in, in baseball. Sometimes they don't have a lot of room in the press box. I mean, I remember I went and covered a, a, a game at Sanford, and uh, they didn't have any room in the press box, so they had to move a guy, you know, from their social media team out of the press box to give me room to cover the ball game. It was an important game for us. We were struggling a little bit at the time. Rowdy had been struggling. Go over there and gets in his hometown or gets over in his home state and has a couple big hits, including the game winning RBIs. I was very grateful that they made room for me to give me the opportunity to paint the big maroon picture for you guys. And so I take that responsibility and that privilege very seriously. And you know what? At some point, maybe somebody doesn't credential me. And it would be devastating. You know, of course, well, you can cover virtually. Guys, there's nothing like being there. And that's the thing, too, that, you know, the Zoom calls and that sort of stuff. And I'm very grateful that Mississippi State doesn't share that information with everybody. You know, it's like, yeah, we're going to get coverage. But the people that are here on the beat, the people that are here making the effort and traveling the games to cover the games, they're going to get access to our coaches in postgame. And I'm very grateful that Mississippi State does that because if they just open it up to everybody – I mean, you know, why, why should somebody sitting at home that didn't go cover the game have, be able to ask Mike Leach a game in postgame? I mean, that, that's just – that wouldn't be fair. You know, we're all there. And that's not just the Jeans Page crew, but, you know, everybody on the Mississippi State meet, just, just about everybody travels just about every, home, every, every away game. So if we're going to make the effort to go be there, you know, why should I not be able to ask a question or maybe perhaps uh, somebody else on the beat not be able to ask a question – because some guy sitting on his couch somewhere that uh, is going to go write an article about a game he didn't cover is in the press conference in a Zoom call. You know, we get to do a lot of stuff in person, but the reality of it is, is I, it just kind of struck me, struck a chord with me tonight. It's like I just I see this stuff on social media, and I just think to myself, you know, where are we as a profession and as an industry when we're going to sit here and take these unnecessary personal shots at the people that we cover? It's one thing to say a team isn't playing well. It's another thing to say, hey, you know what, this guy may be coaching for his job next year. It's another one to go out there and just be critical of their behavior. And I'm not saying that anybody is above criticism or above scrutiny. But when we have a relationship with people, and, and you know, we, I, I think, as I've said many times, we cover Mississippi State on Mississippi State's terms. And so when these other people that are not truly committed to covering your university or out there having these negative things to say. I, I just think there should be consequences. You know, I, I, I'm not going to let somebody, you know, I mean, you think about this. I mean, it's like if somebody came to your house and every time they came, they left a mess for you to clean up, 
you'd probably stop inviting them. Just my take. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Love those guys. I'm probably going to run down there tomorrow and eat lunch. Might run into some of you. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I love the fact that I can get as full as I want to at Bulldog Burger Company. Maybe I don't want to eat heavy. You know what? I can have the BLT salad. You can get it fried or grilled. It's outstanding. Maybe I just want to have the spring rolls as an entree rather than as an appetizer. Maybe I'm going to eat all four of them myself. I can do that. Or maybe I want one of their fine restaurant-quality hamburgers. One of the great delicacies in life. You're not going to find a better burger. You're not. Bulldog Burger Company specializes in hamburgers. And you know what? If, if you're a newbie, go with the Bulldog. Okay, go with the Bulldog, and let's get your feet wet. Then the next time you come back, let's branch out a little bit. Let's have some fun. Let's get that Pimentology ad bacon. Let's get the Smokehouse. Let's get the Lauren, the Bryant. Be a little more exotic. Maybe have that Freshman 15. That's always a favorite. Go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Rich and Flowood area. Getting a lot of great reviews from that place. Appreciate you guys sharing your experiences with me and appreciate you supporting Bulldog Burger Company. And you know what? You don't need my appreciation. You get it yourself when you go because you get a great quality meal at a great quality price. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so let's start way back. January of 2020. We had won the Armed Forces Bowl on New Year's Eve. Took me forever to get home. Matter of fact, I spent the night in Shreveport. I think it took me like six hours to get from uh, Fort Worth to Shreveport. It was so slushy and wet and windy and dark. There was a lot of traffic out there. There were wrecks everywhere. I just shut it down, stayed in Shreveport, opened up the new year there in the great state of Louisiana. Well, shortly thereafter, we did have some football news, of course. You know, one of the first things that happened for us is we had six early enrollees that were announced by the university uh, back on, I guess it was the 11th? and uh, Yeah, January 11th. And then interestingly enough, we ended up adding another one. But we get Gabe Cavasso, satellite corner, an offensive line prospect. Still pretty high on Gabe. You know, and then Gabe went home for a while. Remember that? People forget that. People, Gabe went home, and some people, you know, some people that um, Kennedy's fabricated experts, oh, he's never coming back. He always wanted to come back. He said to figure some things out. Randy Charlton, of course. Where would this program be have been without Randy Charlton this year? Daniel Greek, quarterback out of Argyle, Texas, Liberty Christian. A Dave Nichols signee. Nick Jones, who started at left tackle for Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. Deshaun Page, linebacker, originally out of Knoxville, Tennessee, by way of East Mississippi Community College. And then Albert Reese IV, out of Clearwater Academy International, originally from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So those guys showed up, and you begin to think, okay, well, this is all right here. This is all right. And, of course, we had some other guys uh, join us a little bit later. And uh, I think it's important to kind of, you know, understand, you know, how great this whole thing is for us. You know, Jalen Green ends up joining our team, ends up being a starting safety for us. Carson Williams also was a late enrollee, but he made it. Uh, Pretty impressive to get all those guys on campus earlier. And then we get into February. Mike Leach adds to this, uh, this class that I think is going to be one of those classes that we look back in hindsight and really, really excited about. 
pretty impressive group too. And so we mentioned um, Jalen Green. We also had a transfer in uh, from Makai Polk. Now a record-breaking receiver here at Mississippi State. And guys, here's what's interesting. In two seasons at Cal, Makai Polk caught 36 passes for 478 yards and three touchdowns. In two years. Impressive. Linebacker John Lewis also, one of the jewels of the late recruiting hall for Mississippi State. A lot of people in the industry had him going to Ole Miss. A lot of people. They were all wrong. We knew it. We knew it. And we just let everybody be wrong. Also, Deontay Anderson from Fort Meade, he actually signed with Mississippi State in December. People forget about this. But Deontay had been selected to be a part of the All-American Bowl. Even though they weren't going to play the game, they were going to have the big show on NBC. And so he waited to announce his decision then, and Mississippi State held the announcement until then. Even though they had his national letter of intent in hand, they wanted to let Deontay have his moment. And so he did. Pretty impressive. Deontay Anderson, obviously an All-American player and uh, a guy that needed to add a little girth and some strength this year. But, uh, you know, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. It's, it's incredible to think about, you know, how this all kind of unfolded, too, when you begin to think about, you know, kind of the genesis of what is to come, you know. This is when it all begins, is on a recruiting trail. And so, again, Mike Leach and the group do a great job, great job. And uh, on signing day, the Mississippi State class was ranked 25th by the 247 Sports Composite. Of course, there were some late signees at some other schools that dropped us to 26, and that's okay. That's, that's perfectly fine. Pretty excited about that group, to say the least. I'd also uh, be remiss, too, if I didn't mention um, we lost Art Davis, too. And uh, Art Davis, a Mississippi State legend, had the, the privilege of interviewing his brother, Harper Davis, who we lost uh, a couple months before that, back in 2020. The Davis brothers were legends at Mississippi State, and uh, I hope that their their memories will be preserved forever, you know, with the M Club and, and that sort of stuff. Pretty pretty impressive stuff, uh, to say the least. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention those guys. Just outstanding players for us and uh, great ambassadors for Mississippi State. Great ambassadors for Mississippi State. All right, so baseball season open too. You may have forgotten. Baseball season opened in February, and uh, what's interesting about all that is we go back and look at the baseball stuff. If, if you recall, we didn't even know if we were going to play that opening weekend. It's Valentine's Day weekend. Maybe you've forgotten. We got the big uh, showdown out there in Texas, and we're not sure if we're going to be able to go play. And we actually had a tentative Opponent set up Jacksonville State was going to come to Duty Noble Field. Like, if we couldn't make it to, to Arlington, Jacksonville State was going to come here for a three-game set. That was pretty much done. It was like, just in case, you know, we're good to go. Worked out where State and Ole Miss basically drove east to fly west. We met in uh, Birmingham and flew with Ole Miss – to Arlington. Played Texas. This is February 20th, pardon me. Uh, the weekend after Valentine's Day. 
We beat Texas, and a lot of people thought, you know what, if we can just go out there and win a game, it's pretty good because we got, you know, three top ten opponents. We were also a top ten team. We go out there and we went eight to three. And Luke Alexander really had a big weekend for us. And a lot of people were thinking, you know what, hey, this guy's kind of coming into his own. Could be a real attribute and a real asset to this Mississippi State baseball team. Then we lose to TCU, and if you remember, Drew McGowan absolutely rips a baseball back toward the middle. If he hits it, you know, either side two feet, State wins that ball game. We lose three to two, and they had a reliever that really shut us down. And then we we beat Texas Tech really well, eleven to five. And all of these three teams ended up being a huge part of the postseason. Two of those three ended up being top eight national seeds. May have been all three, now I think about it. TCU was the first national seed to lose. So there we go the first weekend playing three eventual top eight national seeds and going two and three. Now, Arkansas won the weekend. Ole Miss won the weekend. And a lot of people are like, hey, who was most impressive? I said Arkansas. People thought I was trolling Ole Miss. I was actually being honest. Contrary to popular belief. Thought Ole Miss played really well. Arkansas scared me a lot, though. Because I thought Arkansas would be a little bit different this year. But the way they came back and hammered Texas Tech in that game, and Texas Tech expected to be one of the best offenses in the country, you know, I think we saw, you know, hey, this Arkansas team was for real. Yeah, it's one weekend, but that was a star-studded weekend. You had your eventual SEC champion, and, of course, Ole Miss had a great year as well. I mean, the, the showcase there at Globe Life Field certainly lived up to its billing. It was kind of a precursor for the postseason because everybody made the Super Regionals. Everybody. Everybody made the Supers. Pretty impressive. I guess maybe TCU did. But, you know, you you get my point, though. It's like all these teams were great postseason teams, and there they were in one weekend. And, and you remember they had the water main issues and the people worried about lights, people were complaining about how we're going to play baseball, and with all these people suffering – I think people needed a nice distraction. So the Bulldogs get off to a good start there. We're also playing a little basketball at the time. You may have forgotten about that too. A lot of people weren't exactly sure what to make, you know, of uh, on the men's side. You know, we had had a, a decent non-conference. You know, we got off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, we lost to Clemson Liberty and uh, came back and beat Texas State and North Texas and Jackson State. We lose to Dayton, but that was not a bad loss, even though it was uh, – a double overtime game. Probably should have won that game. Then we hammered Central Arkansas. We blow out Mississippi Valley. We get into SEC play on December 30th. Pretty impressive deal, right? We uh, we head over to Georgia, who was uh, ranked pretty high at the time and handled them pretty good by 10 at their place. We come back and we face old nemesis Kentucky. Kentucky, we should have won the game. We all know it. Wasn't a great Kentucky team last year. They ended up beating us in double overtime. We bounce back and win our next two. Take care of Mizzou, take care of Vanderbilt. And all of a sudden, you look at, you look up and Mississippi State's 3-1 and one in the SEC standings with a double overtime loss to Kentucky. We blow one against A&M, and we all know it. There's no point in belaboring the point. And then we beat Florida 72-69. One of the worst losses of the year came the next game against Ole Miss. We, go, we lose in Starkville 64-46. And I don't know that that final score was indicative 
of the game. I think Ole Miss really took it to us. And we had to go to Alabama, and it's always tough to go to Tuscaloosa and play men's basketball. It just is. I don't know if it's just the, you know, the way that the, the configuration of the court is or whatever, but we, we never seem to really shoot exceptionally well there. So I never really judge our team based on how we play in Tuscaloosa. We went and played a great Tennessee team that next ball game and nearly pulled it off. We lose 56-53, had our chances in that ball game. But I think a lot of people thought, you know what, you know, Maybe this team has some moxie. Maybe we're going to be okay. We, then we blow out of Iowa State to close out, uh, you know, the 2020 portion of the schedule. We get rocked at Fayetteville, and then we beat South Carolina at their place to kind of right the ship. We get beat pretty good by LSU at our place. And then this is when people kind of got off the, kind of got off the bandwagon a little bit. We lose to a bad Vanderbilt team, 72-51 in our own gym. It was, without a doubt, one of the most bitter losses of the year. Because we had a chance, you know, we had a chance to go ahead and get, kind of turn things around and kind of solidify our positioning for the tournament. And then, you know, we knew we had that big road trip to Ole Miss coming up, and after they had handled us the way they had the first time, there wasn't a lot of optimism that we were going to go win the game. Well, we did. We won by 10. And then we get South Carolina again. And that's one of the things I've noticed, too. It's like when Ben Howland needs a break in his schedule, it's like South Carolina comes along. And then for some reason, Ben has had their number. A 69-48 blowout in Starkville. We host uh, Alabama. It's a really good game for a while. Alabama does too much for us late. They beat a 64-59 to sweep the series. And we get into March. 63-57 winners at College Station. That's one we had to have. Felt like if we could go beat an Auburn team that was kind of middle of the road in many respects at their place, when we don't, we blow it 78-71. We match up with Kentucky, first round of the SEC tournament. We get the win there and felt like we needed to get one more to have a realistic chance to get in the tournament. Well, we get absolutely murdered by Alabama, 85-48. It's not a good matchup for us. They're a team that likes to shoot from the perimeter, we're kind of hesitant to defend the perimeter. On the other side of things, on the women's side, of course, the uh, the one year. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com dot com forward slash boneyard be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever
All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Nikki McRae Pinson's tenure was, uh, you know, was not very memorable. You know, we had some games early in the year that were canceled. We were supposed to play in the Mohegan Sun Arena up in Connecticut and play in a tournament against Maine, against uh, Quinnipiac or UConn. That tournament gets canceled. We got off to a pretty good start, though. And again, going back to the non-conference schedule, you know, 30, 30 point win against Jackson State, a 106-51 blowout of of UNO, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to be all right here. You know, Vic's gone, but we're going to be okay. The first two games we play are blowout wins. Granted, we didn't play great competition, but you know what? We did what good teams do against bad competition. And then we lose that game in overtime at South Florida, and it was incredible how vicious our fans got after that. You know, we're not used to losing in a non-conference. We went down there and lost, even though South Florida was expected to be a decent team. And we lost that, and it's like Nikki lost a lot of fans right then. It's like some people really were on the fence about her, and it's the sign of trouble we jump off. Well, then the game against Southern Miss is canceled. Then we blow out Troy. We blow out Southern. We blow out Central Arkansas. Then we start feeling, okay, we're going to be okay. We go to Athens, Georgia, and we beat Georgia. So now we're 1-0 in the SEC. We get Kentucky in our place. And again, a game we should have won. We end up losing in overtime. It's funny how that happened to both teams. We lose in overtime to Kentucky. And now we're 1-1 in the league. And, you know, Kentucky has been a very good program the last few years. I know Matthew Mitchell has moved on, but he that Kentucky has been very good. We didn't play against Vanderbilt. We beat Florida. And then we beat Ole Miss 60-56. And that was a game, too, if you remember, we had a pretty sizable lead. Ole Miss made a furious comeback there at the end. And we had to make some big shots to put them away. We did. We start feeling good about ourselves again. You think of this, okay, we're 3-1 and one in the SEC. We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. And then Alabama comes in here and beats us. And we have really, the last decade, we have dominated Alabama in women's hoops. And that was one that really, 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 really upset our fans. Then we get blown out at A&M, 69 to 41. Just couldn't do anything right. And we knew we had that big game coming with South Carolina. We were already penciling that in as a loss. And sure enough, we lose that one, which gives State a three-game losing streak. We're about, you know, of course, Vanderbilt decided to play women's basketball, so that game was canceled. 
Then we go to Arkansas, and it's a game effort, but we still come up short. So now it's a four-game losing streak. And then the ladies, of course, the game at Oxford postponed, which allowed us – I really think we would – I really think the way that we were playing and Ole Miss was playing at the time, probably a good thing for Mississippi State we didn't play. We've had a pretty long winning streak against them, and we know that they're chasing us. That game got postponed due to weather. Tennessee game got postponed. We go to Tuscaloosa. We lose by eight. We blast Auburn, 81-68. Then we beat LSU, 68-59. We feel like we're riding the ship a little bit. Lo and behold, what happens? We lose by 20 to Missouri on senior night. Then we go into the SEC tournament, and uh, we get you know, beat there by LSU. And the season's over. Even though we are invited to go to the women's NIT, we elect not to go. So you know what? We're not going to do that. Probably best thing for us is to get into the offseason and uh, shut some things down, kind of get some things uh, handled. Looking back at the baseball side, you know, we had uh, had a pretty good start to the season we discussed. You know, we, we knock off Jackson State. We take two out of three from Tulane. I don't think anybody will forget that Friday night game, though. Olthoff came in here and really pitched well. That's the one, if you remember, Chris Simonis asked to have his glove checked. And uh, there was nothing there. As Chris said, he was just shoving it up our tails. And I think we learned a lot about ourselves that weekend. We had a walk-off on Sunday. We On the verge of losing that series, T.A. comes up big late. We go down there in Houston Harding, absolutely dazzles in a 4-1 win over Southern Miss. Preston Johnson also makes his Mississippi State debut, who was also impressive. We take two out of three from Kent State the next weekend. And we, this is when we put this stretch together of shutouts. We, we had the no-hitter on Sunday, combined no-hitter, 13-0 win over Kent State. Then it's a 10-0 win over Grambling, a 4-0 win over Louisiana, and a 14-0 win over Eastern Michigan. So four consecutive shutouts. Then it's 4-1, 4-1 against Eastern Michigan. And if you recall, too, we had a kid from Eastern Michigan that was really shutting us down. It was a no-hitter, if you recall, I think, end of the, end of the ninth inning. We find a way to get it together. A three-run uh, three tank from Logan Tanner t- to walk it off. Uh, we take care of Sanford in the midweek 10-2, and we head down to LSU. That's always a tough one for us. It, you know, we have – Paul Maneri had our number for many years. You know, I guess the last time we had won down there was in 16. That was your SEC championship dogs under John Cohen. But we go down there, and we all felt like, you know what, we were the better team. And I, and I was kind of saying that on this show, that we were the better team. We go down there at 6-1, 3-0, and then we get there on Sunday, and the wind is blowing out. We lose 8-3. And a lot of it, too, I mean, you know, Eric Sarantola, you know, we, we stake him to an early lead. He gives it right back, and it seemed like the rest of the game, we were kind of back and forth with them. And uh, eventually, just, their bats got to us. Uh, we bounce back with a big 18-1 win over uh, North Alabama. And then we had that dreadful weekend against Arkansas that really, really, really shook our confidence. And I go back to that first weekend. We talked about how scary Arkansas was. I really thought getting them back into our ballpark that we would be okay. And they open up that Friday game with, you know, what, three, three home runs in the first inning off Christian McLeod. Then he settled a little bit. The next thing you know, we're in trouble. We had a chance to win that Sunday game. We blew it. Bullpen failed us. And a lot of people at that point said, you know what, it's never going to happen for us. It's never going to happen for us. Switching back to the men's basketball side of things, we're still playing basketball this time too. March 20th, 
We start the National Invitational Tournament. 74-68 winners over St. Louis. And then we beat a really good Richmond squad, 68-67. Really, really big game for us. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one where DJ hit the three to win it. I may be wrong about that, but I think it's correct. And then Louisiana Tech, 84-62 win over them to advance to the finals of the NIT. And we lose uh, to a very, very good Memphis team. But it closed out the year. We didn't make the tournament, but I felt like, you know what, all things considered, we took a positive step. But I think we all knew that, you know what, this is a year that, uh, you know, Ben Howen needs to do some big things. But at the end of the year, down the stretch, we were very difficult out. I thought Ben really coached the team well down the stretch. And, of course, the Auburn game, the Auburn loss uh, sticks out. And, you know, coaching wins and loses close ball games, And we lost some close ones. But we had some clunkers in the year, too. I think this team is a lot more talented, and we'll see how things progress. But the reality of it is is that uh, even though we made it to the finals of the NIT, I think we all probably agree that uh, we probably underachieved a little bit. Probably underachieved a little bit. As great as it was and fun as it was in the NIT, we had a better team than that. Uh, So we get into the month of April, and this is when when State really began to ride the ship in baseball. We sweep Kentucky, and if you recall, Kentucky was rolling in pretty high. You know, Kentucky was pretty hot. Nick Mangione, our friend, um, you know, had the Wildcats playing well. They came down here looking to win. And uh, we win the series. We sweep the series. But the last two ball games were 1-1 games where we needed our bullpen to stand up. We take care of Southern 15-1. We go down and sweep Auburn. One of the things I wrote about in Dogpile was the Sunday game when they uh, they beamed Rowdy Jordan over and over and over again. Remember that? You'll never be able to convince me. Never be able to convince me that that wasn't deliberate. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody wants to report. Not good. We take care of Arkansas State in the midweek, 18-10. We had that dreadful ninth inning. The game, that, that game was well decided, and uh, the bullpen kind of imploded. But we end up going, what is it, I guess a nine-game winning streak because we win the first ball game against Ole Miss. Uh, we beat Hogland, who was outstanding. You know, eventually he uh, was lost for the year. And that's the thing, Ole Miss had good front-line pitching. They had no bullpen, and that got to them later in the year. Uh, but they absolutely destroyed us in that Saturday game. Doug Nikhazy goes to the distance, shuts us down 9 nothing. We bounce back and respond pretty well on uh, Sunday. And that's the Tanner Allen tri- bases loaded clear and triple. That's one of those defining moments in the season, that play. And as I wrote about in Dogpile too, you want to know the difference between the State Ole Miss baseball programs? It's that play. It's Tanner Allen barreling her in the third base, and then there's Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny Bench. Um, not only not making the play, didn't even make the catch, just kind of bailed out there, took a ball off chest, and it got loose. You know, it was just – it's like there we were making the play, and they were just trying to keep it in play. You know, that, that's the difference between State and Ole Miss. When the game is on the line, State finds a way to get it done. We take care of UAB, 19-7. And then we head to Vanderbilt. And a lot of people are thinking, if we can just get one, it's a successful weekend. It's tough to go up there and play, especially when they've got two first-round draft picks in the uh, weekend rotation. Well, we get handled pretty good. Kumar was outstanding, Absolutely outstanding on Friday. And then I remember talking to Chris Lamonis that Friday night, and he kind of had this look on his face. He goes, you know, we think we have a pretty good matchup tomorrow. And that's with Leiter going. And lo and behold, we did. 
And that's when all this stuff happened, you know, with the, the dugout, the football players on top of the dugout. It's really kind of an embarrassing situation. You would think Vanderbilt would have a little better decorum. And they get us on Sunday. And, uh, again, that's a game where we had a chance to blow it open. We didn't. We didn't get the timely hit. And then uh, Carter Young got to us late. And uh, tip of the cap to him. We, we eventually got a chance to see him later in the year, as you guys are well aware. So A&M comes to town. And uh, Childress is on the ropes. I mean, you know, one of the great guys in college baseball. But, you know, it's nothing personal. But we had to go have this victory, and we, and we got it. We took all three. But to give those guys credit from College Station, we had to earn it. There was, we had to come from behind a couple times. We had a doubleheader, of course, on Saturday. But uh, the deal was, is, you know, A&M was last in the West, and they came in here and really swung it well and played, you know, really – Pretty good defense, but we had to earn it. We get the three-game sweep. Then we head out to the Citadel, a bit of a homecoming from Coach Crystal Monis. We take care of that 10-2. Brad Compass with a big game out there too. Uh, South Carolina, we went to that place and should have had a sweep. We absolutely should have. And it's like you don't want to be greedy, but when you're chasing a potential SEC championship and a top eight national seed, you can't drop games. And we won the first two handily. But we get into Sunday, and, of course, their bullpen was all stacked because we'd had these two blowout wins, so they didn't throw any of their big arms on Friday, Saturday, at least out of the pen. And so it was all kind of set up for them on Sunday. But even then, we had a chance to close it out, and we didn't. We made some mistakes, let them get back in the ball game, and then, lo and behold, we um, give up a couple of big hits there in the ninth. Thought Brandon Smith pitched well enough to get the save – we made some mistakes defensively behind him. It's a 3-2 ball game. We need three outs to get out of it, and we don't. UT Martin game was canceled, and then we had that dreadful weekend with Missouri. And this is when there were a lot of people that still believed. You know, like, oh, we, we, we blew the game on Sunday, but we're okay. We're okay. We just need to take care of Missouri. They were the last place team in the SEC, and that was the thing. It all kind of set up for us, that for us to win the SEC – we needed to win those last two weekends. We needed to win the weekend with Missouri, win the weekend with Alabama, and get some help around the league. And we had a chance to win the SEC. Even though Arkansas had swept us, they were within, we were within striking distance. We win the first game, 5-4. We lose game 2-7-6, and then we get blown out on Saturday, 16-8. It was awful. Awful. Absolutely awful. And, you know, I usually don't get real emotional, win or lose for us. And we win, I'm really happy, okay? But I expect us to win. But when we lost this series, I was sitting here thinking to myself, what, what are we doing? I mean, how are we going to make it in the postseason? We take care of Jacksonville State, an abbreviated 6-1 ball game. And we go to Alabama needing to win all three to probably secure a top eight national seed. And that's exactly what we do. We take all three and really – you know, that, Saturday, that Friday game was not competitive, and I didn't think a Saturday game was. They got a little lead early, and then there was a bit of a, you know, a wind-blown home run that got them some juice, and then they had that crazy play at third where the third baseman runs into Kellum Clark, and they, they call us for interference. And I know that there's these uh, baseball rule hipsters. Guys, it was not a legitimate play on the baseball. It was not interference. If anything, it was obstruction by the third baseman. It's, it's crazy. And then, of course, uh, we head to Hoover. 
thinking, okay, we probably need to win a game. And uh, we get 10-run rolled in back-to-back games, and we get out of there. And I think a lot of people thought, you know what, the bloom is off the road. Mississippi State is fading. I think that's how we all felt. Still felt, you know what, we'll see what happens in a regional. But there was not anything in Hoover that inspired any confidence in the Mississippi State baseball team that really forecasted anything for the postseason. Let's take some time now to do our top 10 list brought to you by Close with Blair.com. Blair Chandler, a longtime friend of mine. He will be a friend of yours. It pays to have a friend in the business. And the mortgage industry is very complicated at times. You have a lot of options. You do. But do business with winners. Do, people, do business with people that are proven professionals, like Blair Chandler. 21 years in the industry. Works at Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one. Number one and customer satisfaction in the mortgage industry. This is not some, not some fly-by-night industry or fly-by-night lender in a very competitive industry. It's a group of professionals. They'll get your loan closed. That's the thing. And a lot of you people are thinking, you know what, Steve, I'm kind of an atypical borrower. I've kind of got a non-conforming property. Blair has seen it all and done it all. I can promise you that he has probably gotten loans closed for people in worse situations than you. Not to mention your situation may not be as bad as you think. And if it is, he can get you on a road to recovery to make the dream of home ownership come true for you. Or maybe perhaps you're looking to refinance your home, get your equity working for you, put in a pool this year. Maybe you need to consolidate some debt. Let Blair help you with that. He can help you navigate through that process. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, he's going to give you a, going to give you a discount on some of your fees. Because if you mention to him, whether it be by text, email, or phone, say, hey, Blair, I heard about you on the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That is a $500 to $600 value. Think about that. Just by listening to the show, you're going to save some money when you refinance or purchase your new home through CloseOfBlair.com. Give Blair a text or call today, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. All right, so I had a chance to break bread with Izzy Mandelbaum. Now, I'm not going to dox him or out him for you guys. But, uh, you know, Izzy is a guy that, you know, Roy puts these lists together and puts them on Spotify. And then Izzy puts them on iTunes for you guys that are Apple Music listeners like me. And so I'm grateful to him. But we had a chance to break bread. And uh, we were talking about, you know, some of the great songs that uh, have been on the Boneyard. And uh, I have thought about doing this list before. And I'll be honest with you, we didn't have 10. So I had to kind of supplement a couple songs in here just because I really like them. But this is basically the Boneyard's greatest hits. You may recall back when I was at Bulldog Sports Radio, you know, we had an intro that had music and we had an outro that had music. And sometimes that clever Brian Haydad would kind of change the outro a little bit kind of based on the show. And some of it was kind of humorous. And so this is the Boneyard's greatest hits. Pretty excited about the list. And I've had people, I would say... Probably once a month, somebody will message me and say, hey, Steve, what was the name of that song that used to be the intro to the Boneyard? And sometimes it's not the one. Like I'll say, yeah, it's this one. Oh, no, it's the other one. And so we actually had a handful of them before I settled on one. So we're gonna, I'm going to rank these songs today. And they all mean something to me. They all, I, don't, I don't just pick them because they're cool songs. They all mean something to me. But number 10, and we'll credit Brian Haydad for this one. You may recall there was a Boneyard show that uh, I talked about how Ole Miss was going to be in big trouble, and, and there was more than one of those shows. But I said, you know, the turning point was when Ole Miss won the Sugar Bowl. 
that it was kind of like Millie Vanilli winning the Grammy. And that's true. It's absolutely true. You know that it's true. And it's like, you know, hey, this is a problem. And so all of a sudden, some of you smarmy, smart Alex on Twitter started making Millie Vanilli pictures, uh, you know, with Hugh Freeze and Ross Bjork's faces. It was all very funny. Um, and so after that show, when I made comment about Ole Miss winning the Sugar Bowl was like Millie Vanilli winning the Grammy, the outro to that show, courtesy of one Brian Haydad, my friend, was Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. That's your number 10 song on the Barnyard's Greatest Hits. Now, number nine, after all that craziness happened and after Hugh Freeze resigned and after all the stuff was, you know, kind of known, there was a bold band, that sort of stuff, and um, there was one show, we changed the, the outro for that show, and it's very apropos. Your number nine song from Ozzy Osbourne, a Zach Wilde classic, it's Miracle Man. That's right, Miracle Man, Cold Busted. Number nine on the Boneyard's Greatest Hits. Number eight, I toyed with making this the intro a few times. I have said on this show before, and I have shared with people, the guitar solo on this song, it, it, if, there, if, a, if a Diamondback Rattlesnake could play guitar, I suspect it would sound like the solo that Mark Tremonti plays on this absolute banger of a song. Number eight is Isolation from Alter Bridge. Isolation from Alter Bridge and Miles Kennedy, who sings on that that song, will make an appearance uh, a little bit later in the show. We'll, we'll mention him in connection with another song. Uh, number seven, this was the intro, I think, for one show. And uh, back when I ran regularly, this was the first song on my run playlist because I liked the driving beat. It kind of got me going. And um, it's one of those songs, too, that uh, kind of reminds me that I'm still kicking Number seven on your list is I'm Alive from Anthrax off the Worship Music CD. It is outstanding. It is an outstanding album from Anthrax, and uh, we're going to have a top ten from them very, very soon. But I'm Alive. I absolutely love the track. Toyed with it a little bit. We just couldn't. I just didn't think it worked as the intro, but uh, it's mentioned nonetheless. Uh, Number six, we also had this as the outro, I think, a couple times. And again, I always kind of toyed with that stuff because I'm just so particular about things. I know that I probably wore Brian out. So, hey, change it to this, change that. There were a couple times that we had Primal Scream from Motley Crue as the outro. That's the number six song on the Boneyard's Greatest Hits, Primal Scream from Motley Crue. Uh, This was recorded after the Dr. Feelgood album and after they had been on tour with Whitesnake. And so some of the guitar riff work by Mig Mars sounds kind of white snaky and that's why that's why after a year year and a half on the road uh, with those boys in white snake uh, some of that riff stuff sounded eerily similar to that so there was some influence there Mig Mars has even talked about that uh, I love the song I think you guys do too okay so these next five were regulars as intros or outros on the boneyard uh, number five, and this is one, these, these songs all mean something to me. This is one, Breaking Skin from Nonpoint is number five. I'm a huge Nonpoint fan. I've seen them. I've met those guys multiple times. Uh, love their music. I think the last couple of albums have been a little disjointed. Uh, you know, BC left the band. He was the guy that kind of brought a harder edge. But um, I've had a chance to sit and, and, uh, and talk with um, 
Elias Soriano a couple times, lead singer from Nonpoint. Love what that guy's doing. And uh, Breaking Skin is a song about addiction. And uh, if you watch the video, it's about this blend of methamphetamines that uh, was really causing skin problems for people, like not even far beyond the typical, you know, people picking their skin. Uh, but this is, this is one of those songs. It's not long enough in my mind, but that opening riff is a winner. And uh, I would say for about two months, we had that as the intro. The outro for the better part of four years was a song that my good friend Reggie Hankerson, uh, when we changed it, he says, you know what, Steve, I'm going to miss that track. And uh, you know what? As I told him, maybe add it to your playlist. But um, it is one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite bands. And that's Sound of Madness from Shinedown. I created the Sound of Madness. That's kind of how that, that thing went for us. Number three, and this was the intro song. And I had probably had more people contact me about this particular song than any song in the history of the Boneyards, even before we did the top 10. People liked the song. People wanted to know who performed the song. And it was Beggars and Hangers On from Slash, from Slash's Snake Pit. Now, the best version of this song is not available on Spotify or iTunes. But if you watch the Guitar Center special, and you can find it on YouTube, with Miles Kennedy singing the vocal on this, it's better. It's much better. But I do love that opening riff. I think Slash makes it all seem so easy. Me and Izzy even watched the Miles Kennedy and Slash version with the Guitar Center uh, special this evening uh, before I left. So there you go, Beggars and Hangers On. That's the song that so many people kind of associate uh, with the Boneyard because for years and years and years, uh, that was our intro. Number two, it's uh, we, when I changed Sound of Madness is the outro. I was really into this band out of Omaha, Nebraska, ironically enough, and uh, have had some interaction uh, with some of those guys, and uh, they are now a different band because Patrick, the singer, left and uh, had some vocal problems, and uh, it's, a, it's basically a new band with, a new, with the same band with a new singer, and Patrick's not involved. Patrick is involved with a band called Arson City now. Uh, but number two, a song that, really is important to me i absolutely love this song and there are a lot of times when maybe i'm a little bit down i'll listen to this and it always kind of it kind of soothes the spirit a little bit but it's a song pride from emphatic pride from emphatic but number one and this is one let me encourage you this don't listen to this when the kids are in the car but you turn this thing up this is one of those songs that really means a lot to me not it's because it's a great rock song very guitar oriented but all these lyrics really speak to me. It is a really in-your-face song. And uh, I go back several years, you know, in the recovery community, got over 30 years clean and sober now. And uh, I won't bore you with the whole story, but um, one of the reasons this song means so much to me is because I chaired a group at one time called Some Are Sicker Than Others. And uh, it was kind of an inside joke with me and some people in recovery. But uh, sadly, a lot of those people are dead now. And, um, and so I went with Survival of the Sickest from Saliva as number one. And uh, there's so many of those lyrics that just make me want to stand up and cheer. And uh, it's just like, you know, the, the part where he says, uh, you know, I'm the one you counted out of the race and I won't finish the rest of the lyric for you because it's a little bit profane. Uh, but I love this song. I listened to it tonight on the way home from, uh, from Izzy's place. 
And it is one of those songs, if you don't know Saliva really well, I know many of you probably know, you know, you know the hits, you know, Click, Click, Boom, uh, some of those things like that, Your Disease. To me, this is the one. And this happened earlier in their career. I like Saliva. I don't like them as much without Josie Scott as a singer. But this is one of those songs that I need to have the cruise control set before I hit play because I will definitely punch the gas. So there you go, the Boneyard's Greatest Hits. This is a lot of fun, and uh, we have never really put all these songs together on a list, and I wanted to do that uh, for you guys because there are so many of you that really dug these tunes. And I'll tell you what's interesting, too. I remember one time we were at Duty Noble Field at the old Duty Noble, and uh, Joel Coleman is playing Pride from Emphatic. I was like, hey, man. He goes, yeah, man, I love that song. I'm so glad you added it to the show. And so, again, I think one of the greatest gifts that we give each other is great music. It's like, hey, I think you would really like this. And then when I do, I think, man, I'm, where would I be without this? So that's the Boneyard's Greatest Hits. Hope you enjoyed that list. And, again, thanks so much to Roy Samante uh, for putting these on Spotify and Izzy for putting them on, on Apple Music. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out let me know. We're going to do a music icon on Monday. Somebody that many of you have requested. I think we've had as many as a dozen requests. Going to finally get around to it. Somebody recently messaged me and said, hey, Steve, what about this guy? And I text Roy, and we're like, yeah, he's already on the list. You know, Roy is meticulous with keeping up with the list. So we're going to knock some of those names off the list next week. And uh, that's one of them. So Monday, we'll have a music icon. But uh, if you've got a great idea, reach out to me or Roy. On social media, Roy is at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C. And, of course, you can subscribe to his Spotify channel and get all these lists uh, you know, pretty accessible to you. And you can find me, of course, on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. All right, so the next segment is brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Those people are like family to me, and I really mean that. You know, the standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, you know, Susie, everybody up there, even Miss Carolyn Avity at Book Martin Cafe, the whole Campus Book Mart family really treats me probably better than I deserve. And uh, they've sold a ton of merchandise for me. And uh, I, I've had so, so much success buying gifts for my friends and family uh, there at Campus Book Mart. You will have that same level of success. It's not that I'm some type of a celebrity where I get some kind of a big discount. Everybody gets the Steve Robertson discount when you go to Campus Bookmark because that's who they are. They're going to sell the latest and greatest in Mississippi State merch to you and your family. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. You know, baseball season's coming up. It's going to be cold in February. It doesn't feel like it today, but it is going to be. So go ahead and invest in that M over S hoodie. That is a timeless classic. And you'll be glad you have it when you're sitting out there, you know, in 40-degree weather uh, watching the Diamond Dogs play. Think ahead. And while you're there, go ahead and, and stock up on some uh, NAFL championship gear. A lot of that's already been discounted. So be, take advantage of that. You know, everybody ordered a whole bunch of that so they'd have more than enough to meet the demand. And maybe you didn't get exactly what you wanted, or maybe you went to another vendor and you got a a crimson-colored Mississippi State shirt that you're never going to wear. Maybe you've already cut the sleeves off of it and it's made it a a yard work shirt. Reward yourself with some true maroon and white, and that's what Kathy Brown's going to get you 
real Mississippi State Maroon White. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Speaking of national championships, let's jump back into our year in review. You know, we talked about how awful it was in uh, to finish up the month of May in Hoover. And I love the SEC baseball tournament. But when we go out early, I can't even watch it. I mean, it is, it is miserable watching it. As much as I love college baseball, because every time they show that bracket, I see their scores, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I can't deal with it. So, of course, we get the, uh, the regional host. We are a top eight national seed, much to the chagrin of some people in the national media. There were a lot of people out there, oh, there's no way State should be a top eight after getting swept out of Hoover. And uh, it's a weekend, guys. There's no way that a weekend will ever replace the full body of work, and nor should it. So we host the regional, and we get Samford. And uh, you may recall Will Bednar started game one and gave up a solo home run to open the game. We're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a continuation of what we saw at Hoover. And give Samford some credit. They hung in there for a while. They really did. And then we went to work. We put those guys away 8-4. VCU came in with a huge winning streak. If I'm not mistaken, it was 22 games, something ridiculous like that. They had won a ton of games in a row. And you may recall that a couple of their players in postgame after they had just trounced Campbell, you know, basically called a guarantee to win. They didn't say it in those terms, but they basically alluded to that. Yeah, you know, hey, we don't plan on losing. And you know what? And I can respect it too. I can I probably wouldn't have said it in the media, but I respect it, especially playing at Duty Noble Field on a Saturday when you know that Mississippi State fans are going to be there to get in your grill. And we absolutely destroyed them. 16-4. to 16-4. Ended the winning streak, put them in the loser's bracket, and then Campbell – comes back and beats those guys, too. And I'm going to share something else with you guys, too. You know, the fighting camels of Campbell, they were outstanding people as players, the coaches, the fans. I would love to schedule, like, a three-game series with them next year. I know it doesn't help the RPI, but, you know, we usually have to schedule somebody, uh, you know, pretty early on. And Campbell's a solid baseball program. But I would love to bring those people back because they were such great fans of college baseball. And I won't say they were in awe of Duty Noble Field, but because of the fact they love college baseball, it was an honor to them to play at Duty Noble Field. So I'd like to see them come back. And I was happy to see them beat BCU. And I'll be honest with you guys. I have spent a lot of time in left field lounge in my life. I don't know that I have ever encountered a fan base that was more standoffish than BCU. It was really off-putting, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, I'm out there in the, in, the, uh, in the right field Tiki Lounge, out there with Johnny Hayes and those guys and Hobie. And, you know, there's nobody more hospitable at Duty Noble Field than those guys. And when they can't win the VCU folks over, that says a lot. There were a couple guys who were pretty nice. I mean, really were. But by and large, the, the VCU Ram fans, it's like they were just – they thought they were too good to be there. And so when they got beat 16-4, to while I never said anything, I had a little, you know, a little gleeful smug on my face. Like, yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. All right, so then we get Campbell, and uh, and those guys, listen, you know, you know, we wanted to win, obviously, but I really wanted it to be Campbell in the final. I really did. I didn't want to have to play him twice, 
but I wanted it to be Campbell. I wanted Campbell to advance. They did. Uh, they had a great experience. And uh, the, I guess back-to-back years for them, making it to a regional final. You know, they beat ECU and then, uh, and then lose two in a row. But uh, those guys were outstanding. Those players were great. And our fans, man, you guys, you know, it's like sometimes in football, I think our, some, there's a segment of our football fan base. It's like, I guess they're so used to forecasting failure. It's like sometimes we can't enjoy it. But our fans treated those people from Campbell like every opponent should be treated at every venue. You guys set the standard, man. And those people from Campbell, you saw it. There were so many of their parents that tweeted out and posted on Facebook their great experiences and how much they enjoyed interacting with all of you. And it's your true maroon, man. I mean, that's the thing. That's the best of Mississippi State. When people come to our baseball stadium and they walk away thinking, wow, that's real college baseball. It speaks well of our fan base. It really does. Well, we get Notre Dame, and uh, they were a bit of a media darling, and that's in no way a shot at, at Link Jarrett and those guys. Uh, an outstanding program. I mean, really it is. And uh, they don't have the baseball tradition that perhaps many people would expect. They were the ACC champions. Many people thought they should have hosted instead of us. And then other people thought, you know what, they should have hosted over Texas Tech. If Mississippi State is in, the Notre Dame should have been the last host. And, of course, Notre Dame gets us. That was kind of apropos. I wanted Notre Dame. I don't know who you guys wanted. I wanted Notre Dame. I thought, number one, we could beat them. Number two, I thought, number one, excuse me, number two, that uh, they had no business hosting because they basically canceled their non-conference schedule. You may recall us talking about that. They didn't play any non-conference games. I think they played two non-conference games. Played Central Michigan, and I can't remember who the other team was. They basically just canceled the midweek games and say they're all pitching for the weekend. That should not be rewarded. And I'm glad that the tournament selection committee did not give them a host site. And I don't care who in the national baseball media trumps for these guys. If you have all of your arms available, if you don't have to burn an arm or two during the midweek because you canceled those games, you have a competitive advantage. Could you imagine what Mississippi State could have done on the weekends? If you, you think Arkansas and Ole Miss would have been happy, hey, we're just going to cancel all the midweek games and we're going to have all of our pitchers available for the weekend. Do you think anybody in the SEC would have been okay with that? No, they wouldn't have been okay with it. And you know what? They shouldn't be okay with it. Everybody else in the ACC played a non-conference schedule, but not Notre Dame. I mean, they win the, the, the ACC. Well, they should have. They were at full strength on the weekends. We beat them 9-8. Of course, they drill us pretty good uh, 9-1 on Sunday. We were hoping to kind of wrap that thing up. And then we get into uh, Monday. And the score shows 11-7 because of that big Cavazos home run. But this game was not close. This game was not close. We jumped on them and uh, basically rode the bullpen to a victory and, of course, secured our third consecutive trip to Omaha, Nebraska. I couldn't wait to get there. I know many of you felt the same way. It just felt like it was our year. And I remember talking to Johnny Hayes. We get to the um, we get to the pep rally before we play Texas. And everybody's like, Steve, how do you feel? I said, well, I think whoever wins this game between State and Texas is going to play for an NFL championship. Said as much on the show. Johnny turns to me and says, Steve, it's our time. Now, he may have had a couple more verbs in there, but he said, this is our time. And I think there was this collective belief among the fan base 
Because once the matchups came out and we saw who was on our side of the bracket, not that there was a you – know, there's no easy games in Omaha. But I think we felt like, you know what, we're going to avoid Vanderbilt and potentially Arkansas. And, of course, they get knocked out in the uh, Super Regionals by NC State. We felt like this was a great draw for us. And uh, people in the Ole Miss side are like, oh, Mississippi State's going to win it now because they got the easy draw. Well, we had the number two national seed the very first game with their ace on the hill and we beat them 2-1. It was an incredible ball game, and we won 2-1. Christian McLeod goes out against Virginia, and give those kids in Virginia a lot of credit. They jumped on us. They were on every change. They were on every slider. Christian just didn't have it. He was sick in Omaha. And I don't mean COVID sick, but he was sick. It wasn't right. But he wanted to go gut it out because he loves you guys. He loves his team. And then we had that dramatic comeback. You recall one of the greatest moments in Mississippi State sports history. We put together that great comeback, and Tanner Allen hits the big three-run home run to give us the uh, 5-4 lead. You know, Kellum Clark, of course, had the big blow early on uh, to kind of get the train rolling for us, the first hit of the ball game. We had been no hit to the eighth inning, and Kellum Clark hits an absolute tank to right field to make it a 4-2 ball game. Next thing you know, Josh Hatcher, Rowdy Jordan are on, and um, we get the home run. We get T.A. having the moment. That was the moment of the postseason. And it just felt like, you know what, we're a team of destiny. And then Scotty DeBrule steps up, and you know we drive in another run, makes it 6-4, and we give up that gopher ball of a home run, just one of those wind-aided shots that kind of kept them in it. But Landon Sims shuts it down, so we're 2-0, and in a great position. You're one win away from playing for a NAFL championship. We get Texas. You remember that's that crazy game? Rain, rain, rain. And here's the thing, too. We talk about having the greatest fans in college baseball. We, we have talked about that extensively. I don't think there was a better display of our fans this season than this ball game on Friday, June 25th at TD Ameritrade Park. Guys, we're getting killed in this ball game, And, you know, Parker Sinet gives up the big home run. And it felt like, you know what, this thing is over. And then we had that long rain delay. And you guys stayed. And many people went back to the hotel and then came back to the game. And when our team took the field, they were surrounded by Mississippi State fans, clearly outnumbering the Texas fans. And even though we lost the ball game, it's like that moment we all knew what, you know, we're okay. We're not done. We're not going home. We still got another game to play, and we're going to win that game. And you guys, I believe, really showed your team, you know what, we got your back. You know what, we know this thing getting over. We know when we got in the car to drive to Omaha, Nebraska, that we were going to win an AFL championship. And that belief is unwavering, despite the fact that we're losing. And you know what, we end up loading the bases uh, there in the ninth inning. Try to find a way to win it. We didn't. But I believe at that moment, there was some real symmetry between your team and you. I think at that point, we all kind of recognized that we're all on the same page. You know, we got business to, to attend to. We're good. We come out on Saturday. We're the only game that day, if you recall, because uh, NC State and Vanderbilt ruled a no contest. Texas jumps out to the early lead. Logan Tanner with the uh, the big bouncing ball 
into the outfield. We we ended up winning the ball game four three, and uh, we actually wore the same uniforms that we wore when Texas hit Gene Morgan. It's almost like we were tempting fate, but we exercised those demons. And at that point, I think a lot of people were thinking, you know what? Hey, if this is it, if we end up number two, it's still a really great year. But the overwhelming majority of you were like, you know what, no, you're just like Johnny Hayes. You're like, you know what, this is our time. And you know what, it had to be Vanderbilt. It had to be. We have had this incredible postseason rivalry with them. You remember back in 18, we went up there and won a Super Regional at their place. Elijah McNamee had a couple walk-offs against those guys. Um, I guess he had the one. I guess J.J. Bleday had one against us. And then, of course, uh, you know, we win that thing on Sunday, but uh, or in game three. And then they beat us, you know, in 19 in Omaha. And, uh, you know, we were the second best team in the SEC that year. But it had to be Vanderbilt, just like it had to be Texas. You know, we go back to people, well, the 85 teams should have won it. You know, that crazy stuff happened with Texas. Well, we had to do that. You know, the, you, you couldn't write a better script. It had to be Texas, and it had to be Vanderbilt. And, and I think I've shared this with you guys before. Uh, you know, Dave Murray and I are walking around up there and, um, in Omaha, and there, there's like there's an army of photographers. I mean, an absolute army of photographers with Vanderbilt stuff on. And Dave Murray uh, got a little bass in his voice. He turns to me. He goes, do you think all them are on scholarship too? You know? <laughs> um, and so – you know, we lose that first ball game eight two, and God and God bless Christian McLeod, guys. I mean, really, he had to he he's kind of to live with that. I mean, the last couple starts for him pretty pretty rough. He pitched pretty well against Notre Dame, and he pitched pretty well in the uh, you know in the regional uh, against VCU. But uh, you know, Omaha just he he wasn't right, and uh, the kid gutted it out, man. The guy loves Mississippi State, and you know some of the things that were said about him on social media were just inappropriate. But you know, we lose that ball game. But the thing about it was, and I wrote about this in Dogpile, even though we had that one really bad inning, you know, with Christian against Vanderbilt, you know, the rest of the ball game, we kind of shut him up and we shut him out. And so it was abundantly clear in hindsight that Scott Foxhall had kind of cracked the Vanderbilt code. You know, Carter Young did absolutely nothing in Omaha because people realized that uh, he was having a difficulty hitting that forcing fastball up and in. He couldn't lay off it, and he couldn't get the bat around to it. He couldn't get the uh, you know the bat head to the ball. It's a hole in his swing. So we get into Tuesday, and of course we know they're they're not throwing Kumar. We know they're throwing the number three guy, and uh, and listen, the guy's gonna be good eventually. It's, at some point, everybody at Vanderbilt is to get them some credit, uh, and, they, and they darn well should be with all the scholarships they have available. But this was a very loud and resounding win, the 13-2 win. And I think Vanderbilt was really shook after this. You know, they knew they were one win away, and they got absolutely embarrassed in this ballgame. Absolutely embarrassed. Now, Kumar wasn't right down the stretch. Let's, let's be fair about it, right? Now, we wanted, and we had to face Kumar, right, because he had absolutely rocked our world uh, the last couple of times we played him. I wanted Kumar because I felt like, you know what, that's the perfect way for this thing. We're going to beat the team that has given us a lot of trouble, and we're going to beat the kid that's given us a lot of trouble. We'd already beat Leiter on the year. 
Now we had a chance to be rocker. And what's interesting, and I may have shared this with you guys. If I didn't, I'll do it again now. You, you won't mind hearing the story. One of the Vanderbilt guys, and uh, I, I'm just one. I'm really patient, you know, when we're in the press box. I just kind of ignore people. There was one guy in particular. He he had run his mouth the entire week. I mean, it was like it was so irritating and so unprofessional. And so I went up to him before the Wednesday game, and I was like, you know, I said this is a win-win situation for Vanderbilt. He goes, what are you talking about? We're here to win an NFL championship. I said, you know, it might be in your best interest not to win the NFL championship. He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, if you lose to Mississippi State, the next time that somebody brings up a scholarship situation, you can just say, hey, we had any scholarships, so we still lost to Mississippi State, so how much of an advantage can it be? He just grabbed his stuff and walked away. And, of course, Mississippi State wins the NFL championship, not nothing, with uh, nowhere near the same scholarship numbers that Vanderbilt has. The reality of it is, is this was a dream come true for all of us. And uh, one of my, the greatest memories of my life, one of the greatest memories without a doubt of my life is I elected to spend the ninth inning with my son, his wife, and my granddaughter. And I tweeted that out. I said, ninth inning, this Twitter account's going to be unmanned. You guys don't need me to tell you to score, but he needs me to make a memory to last us a lifetime. Tweeted that somebody, one of you guys actually had a video of me uh, making my way to him and hugging his neck. And uh, I'm just so glad I got to share that. And I'm so glad so many of you, and I've met so many of you at book signings, and people get downright emotional, man. I said, you know, Steve, I remember when you said, be sure to spend this with somebody you know, somebody you love. Make this memory together with somebody you love. And I have heard from so many of you, and we were going to try to include some of those in the book, and there just wasn't room. I mean, it's like once we got to the end, it's like we, we couldn't – I wanted to have a chapter of, like, fan stories, and we just couldn't do it. I mean, it just – there was no room. This is the biggest book I've ever written. But I was so touched by so many stories, and I've had so many people come up and say, you know what, Steve, I couldn't be with my dad because he was across the country. But I called my dad, and I, we watched the last three outs together. And I think to myself, we're doing it right, guys. We're doing it right. We're making these memories of people we love because we understand this is a lifetime in the making. And they, I, I told my kids, you know, they were all so excited that we won. And I said, I'm just so glad you guys didn't have to live as long as I did to finally see Mississippi State win the National Championship and win the College World Series. And you know what? We're not done. We're not done. I can't wait for baseball season to start. And I don't know if we get back this year or not, but I know this. We've got one. And if we never get another one in our lifetimes – we never have to, we, we won't be able to lie on our deathbed and say, you know what, I just wish that I would have had this. We will have this memory to sustain us the rest of our lives. Let's thank our good friend Brooks Bryan at Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. It's 1.1 miles from campus, and I would love to be closer to campus. I'm out here in the boondocks now. I like the place, but there are many times that I think about, you know what, it would be so much more convenient for me to be closer to campus. So eventually... Maybe I'll move to Portico. I don't know. If you're looking to move to Portico now, you're kind of out of luck, though. Phase one, completely sold out. Phase two, we're getting foundations poured now. Construction starting soon. Need the weather to cooperate a little bit, but uh, it's going to be up and running. So maybe if you're thinking, you know what, hey, we're going to get through the school year, and then we're going to move the family up there like we've always wanted to, you need to reach out to Brooks Bryan. You need to go ahead and, and kind of reserve your spot, pick out your lot, have a say in your house plans. 
because this is this is going to sell rather quickly. Many of you have thought, you know what? Hey, Steve, I, I want the retirement home in Starkville. I want the ball game retreat place. I want an investment property in Starkville, and eventually maybe we'll move up there. This is the time to act. If you need more information, and I'm sure you do, you need to call my friend Brooks Bryan, and I can promise you, as excited as you were about winning an AFL championship, Brooks is probably 10 times because he wore the uniform. He's a diamond dog for life. Give him a call at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075, which reminds me. You know, Brooks, I'm friends with a lot of our former players on Facebook and follow them on Twitter. And Brooks shared the letter and the hat that many other people did. And let me tell you guys this, and I'm sure you feel the same way I do. That is outstanding. I don't know whose decision it was. I don't know if it was John Cohen's, Dr. Keenum's, Chris Lamonis. But they sent a hat and a letter to every player, every former player, and said, hey, you were a part of this. You helped lay the foundation for this, and we're grateful for your contributions to Mississippi State baseball. Brooks Bryan, one of those people, saw him share it. And uh, I thought that is what a heartwarming gesture and what an unbelievable token of appreciation for the people that came before the 2021 Diamond Dogs. And I know that I speak on behalf of everybody involved with Mississippi State so whoever's idea that was, uh, thank you for coming up with it. And for every recipient of those hats and those letters, thank you for your contributions to Mississippi State Baseball. All right. So I, I, I had a, I talked to Chris Lamontis earlier, and I, we were talking about you know the season coming up. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, it's like when we got ready to cover football, it's like, you know, man, I just kept wanting to, wanted to celebrate the, uh, the College World Series. And then we get into football season, and I think all of us were like, hey, uh, this should be better. You know, even though people are picking us, you know, sixth and seventh in the West, we're thinking we're going to be better than that. And we were better than that. We were. The season didn't end the way we wanted it to. But the year, by and large, was pretty much to script. On this show, I set the over-under at seven and five, but I did think we'd win the bowl game. I thought we'd be eight and five. And even when we found out the matchup, I thought it would be great. And it's one of the things I've thought about, you know, in hindsight. I don't know how I missed this earlier. But, you know, Sonny Cumbie played for Mike Leach in the air raid. He probably knows as well as anybody what gives the air raid trouble. And I think that's one of the reasons our defense, our, our, their defense really excelled against our offense. I think that know-how probably helped Texas Tech. And uh, maybe I undervalued that and discounted that. Uh, but the reality of it is, you know, I look back in hindsight, it was a good year. It could have been a better year. Probably should have been a better year. Um, but I won't say that I'm satisfied. You know, I will say we did take significant progress forward offensively. We did have a winning season. But the reality of it is, is that you know, having a winning season and making a bowl game should be the minimum standard at Mississippi State. And I'm not expecting to get to Atlanta regularly. But we should always make a bowl game. But next year, we need to take a step forward and we need to get into a Florida bowl game or better, perhaps a New Year's Six. And I know people, Steve, the schedule, guys, we're trading Georgia for Vanderbilt. And you say, well, there's two certain losses there. You know what? With nine, 10 wins, we can get there. I'm going to take a lot of effort for sure. But let's go back and look. You remember Louisiana Tech, a ridiculous ball game, right? And uh, a lot of people are thinking, you know what? I'm off the train right here. I'm off the train. Guys, it was 34, 
34. 34-14. And Will Rogers and the Mississippi State offense put together at that point the greatest comeback in Mississippi State history. 44,669 of you came, which wasn't enough, but we won. And we didn't, we celebrated in the moment, but then when we got back, it's like, man, if we're having to do that, if we're having to fight so hard to beat Louisiana Tech, you know, where are we this year as a season? And I thought the next week we had a pretty good idea. NC State had hammered South Florida in week one and really ran the ball at will. And Zach Arnett and his group did a great job stopping the run. We win the ball game 24-10, probably should have won it bigger. But it never felt like State wasn't in control of this ballgame. It never felt like we were going to lose. And I think people felt like, you know what, hey, we settled down a little bit. Let's go beat Memphis, and we'll be 3-0 and with LSU coming to town. And then the craziness happened at Memphis. And I didn't even like talking about it. You know, but the punt return stuff still sticks in the crawl. And, of course, uh, Matt Hollyfield, who was a bag judge, I don't think he ever officiated another SEC game this year. I don't think so. I kind of quit looking after a couple weeks. But I know that he wasn't on Mark Curl's crew most of the year uh, after that. And he shouldn't have been. He should have been man enough to say, you know what, I made a mistake. Uh, Mark, this is my fault. And you know what? I think I'd rather get disciplined for that than pretending that it didn't happen. But I don't think that guy has any business officiating an SEC football game ever again. It basically determined the game. And, and, and here's the deal. People say, well, it shouldn't have come down to that. But it did. It did come down to that. But we should have won the game. Uh, LSU, that's another three-point loss. But let's be honest and be fair with ourselves. LSU had a sizable lead in this ball game and uh, probably relaxed a little bit. And so now we're two and two. And it felt like the season was on the brink. And we were headed down to play A&M, and we felt like they were a little bit vulnerable, but we weren't quite sure how good a matchup it was for us. You know, really thought they'd be able to run the football. You know, LSU wasn't a great running team. We shut them down, but you know, we thought maybe that was a byproduct of their own poor running game. And we go down there and shock the SEC, and we beat A&M. They were fresh off a loss to Arkansas. that really surprised a lot of people. And so we hang a second loss of the year on A&M, and a lot of people say, well, you know what, those guys are done. But we're 3-2, and two, and we're beginning to think, you know what, if we can just survive the Alabama game without any major injuries, we got a chance to make a run the second half of the schedule. We needed to be no worse than 3-3. Three and three. We were hoping to be 4-2 and two at the midway point. But we lose to Alabama convincingly. It, it really wasn't competitive. But we're 3-3 three and three at the break. We go to Vanderbilt, and again, I think everybody realized that every game on the schedule the rest of the way was winnable. Not to say that we were going to win them all, but we would have a chance to compete in every single game the rest of the way. We go to Vanderbilt, and we absolutely blister these guys 45-6. Could have been worse. We didn't play exceptionally well uh, defensively early in that ball game. And you say, well, Steve, we only gave up six points. You remember they had a couple big plays, and then we settled down and really shut them down. And um, one of the worst games offensively for an SEC team in the modern era, yards and plays-wise. I mean, just really limited their opportunities. Kentucky was coming to town. A lot of you guys are scared of Kentucky. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not scared to go up there next year either. I think Kentucky, uh, again, gets more credit than they deserve, but they have had a really good year. I, they were better than I expected them to be. 
but they weren't better than Mississippi State. We win the game 31-17, and it never again, it never felt like Kentucky was going to put us away, even when they were up to nothing. It never felt that way. And we win at 31-17. Outscore them 31-7 the rest of the way. This was a statement game for Mississippi State. We felt like, you know what, hey, we've got a couple ball games in our pocket. We knew Vanderbilt gets us to four wins. Kentucky gets us to five. We still had Tennessee State in our pocket. So now you're thinking, hey, we find a way to win a couple more of these, we can end up in a pretty decent bowl game. Well, we go to Fayetteville and uh, had some special kicking, special teams issues, some field goal kicking issues, as you guys know, that hurt us. You make a field goal or two there, you win the ball game. You know what? You finish a drive or two more, you win that ball game. You know what? When you got the lead late, 28-24, you need to get a defensive stop, or 28-23, whatever it was. You need to get a defensive stop. And uh, Zach Arnett's group wasn't able to get that done. They're able to march length of the field. And give Will Rogers and the group credit. He had next to no time whatsoever, but he goes right down the field and gets us in the field goal range, and, and we don't convert. But that one really stung. And it what didn't sting. You know, we'd beaten Kentucky, and so we said, hey, we're, we're assured of a bowl game. But it stung because we knew this was a big game for us, and we should have won it. It wasn't like, hey, we just want to reach the minimum standard to get into a bowl game. We should have won the game. We were the better team. But to give them credit, they won. We did, they made the place to win. We didn't. Uh, the next week, you may recall, it's like Auburn absolutely destroyed us in that first half. And then Will Rogers leads the team to now the greatest comeback in school history. So he, the, the two greatest comebacks happened in the same year with the same offense. State absolutely destroyed that Auburn defense in the second half. 43-34 is the final. And I, honestly, I think even if Auburn had another hour to play, they'd have never caught up because I don't think they could stop us. 43-34. So now all of a sudden you're bowl eligible and you got Tennessee State to go. That was a you know no-brainer for us. 55-10 winner uh, there. Excited about being seven wins with Ole Miss coming to town because you think, you know what, hey, even though we can't catch them in the FBS playoff rankings, we get to eight regular season wins. We're going to be in a Florida bowl game, have a really good chance to get there. And we didn't. We had our opportunities in this game, but give Matt Corral all the credit in the world. He was a difference in the game. He really was. He, Even though his numbers maybe not uh, weren't as gaudy as people had expected them to be, there were a lot of clutch plays that he made – and in the end, he's the one that beat us. Again, we had our we had many opportunities, but uh, we blew it. And they were the better team. I'm just being honest about it. They were. We've already recapped the debacle that happened in Memphis, losing the bowl game, 34 to seven. Uh, but the reality of it is, I'm disappointed that we lost. But I, when I take a deep breath and I look at the entire season, I can see some things to feel good about and some things that we need to improve upon. And so I don't think anybody should be satisfied with the season or even be pleased with the season, but I think we can all agree that we have taken a solid stride forward. Maybe not as big a stride as we hoped and probably not as big a stride as we should have, but we took a very positive step forward, and now we're trending in the right direction. It didn't feel like it Tuesday night, but when you look at the totality of the schedule, we are trending in the right direction, but we've got to end the season better. We can't. We can't lose three egg balls in a row. We just can't do that. Absolutely cannot do that.
All right, so before we get out of here, there are a couple of things I wanted to share with you guys. You know, this has been one of the most successful years in my life, both personally and professionally. And uh, I owe a debt of gratitude to each and every one of you. This has been the biggest year for the Boneyard. Like, like every year, I think, well, you know, at some point this thing will top off. And it hasn't. And it's because of you guys. And I have so many people that come up to me and say, you know what, Steve? Hey, I listen to the show three times a week. I never miss it. And I remember, I remember the first time that we topped two million. I was thinking, man, it's like two million. And then we passed three million. And I'm like, oh my gosh, when is this thing ever going to stop? Well, the truth of the matter is, I don't think it is. And the Boneyard is again a very successful show. And you guys have a lot of options. And I I encourage you to support all Mississippi State programming. I do. I support all Bulldogs. I don't feel that I'm in competition with anybody. And that's not to be haughty. I think you guys should be able to enjoy every Mississippi State podcast that's out there. Uh, when I travel, I listen to those guys too. Those, most guys are my friends. And, uh, you know, Brian and Robbie have the show. And, of course, Charlie and, and Bart have the show. And uh, there are a couple other podcasts at times that pop up. I listen to them too. Um, and so I think we're very privileged in many respects to have this quality programming available on demand. Wasn't always like that. Many of you have shared with me, hey, Steve, I live out of state, and uh, you were you know, my connection to Mississippi State. And I, I kind of knew what was going on by listening to your show. It means a lot to me. Uh, but, you know, this was supposed to be my year off writing books, and I ended up writing two. I never knew what Blooms of Oleander was going to do. And uh, the truth of the matter is I just wanted to write the book and uh, really to satisfy myself. And uh, little did I know that it would be on the bestseller list for six months. And thank you for that. I had some people close to me said, Steve, this is a big risk. You shouldn't do this. Uh, it's going to be your Chris Gaines moment like it was for Garth Brooks and your base isn't going to accept this. Well, you have. And uh, I, I thank you for it. And then, of course, I wrote Dogpile. And uh, the hope was you guys would have it for Christmas and you don't yet. Uh, again, I'm told we're about, we're less than four weeks away from shipping from the printer. And I will update you guys because I'm going to stay on this uh, until we get it because I'm, I'm ready for this to happen and many of you guys had to open IOUs for Christmas and I think that absolutely stinks but you guys have been so wonderfully uh, patient about all this if there was anything that I could do to change it I would I mean I'm at the point now I'm about ready to go get by a chainsaw and start chopping pupwood myself uh, with the uh, timber futures being as high as they are uh, but all that said it's the best thing that I've written and I believe that I was born to write that book and I can't wait for you guys to have it and maybe this was part of the plan, too. Maybe just the fact that it would come out right before baseball season to kind of get everybody fired up again. Uh, maybe that was just part of the plan that I was unaware of. But the reality of it is you guys have been amazing to me. And uh, it's never something that I take for granted. you got other options uh, you know, to, to spend your time with. I mean, there's so many great you know, true crime podcasts and things like that out there. But you know, you've made the Boneyard a part of your week. And I'm so grateful that we can bring a piece of Starkville in Mississippi State uh, to each and every one of you on a very consistent basis. I stayed up late to do this this evening uh, because, number one, I wanted to sleep late uh, on, New Year's, on New Year's Eve. But also, too, uh, I just I felt like maybe I owed it to you a little bit. I've got the house to myself for a couple days, and I said, you know what, I'm going to stay up and get this thing done because I wanted you guys – I know many of you will be watching college football tomorrow, and uh, maybe you're doing it tomorrow night. I said, you know what, I'm going to go and get this thing done so we've got the full day to enjoy it and listen to it. Uh, and, you know, I, I get a little emotional when I think about these things, too. It's like, uh, 
you know, there's so many people that go buy the Stark Villains gear, and you can find that at StarkVillains.com. And then, like, I've had these people that send me these messages, that, and most of them are direct messages. And then some people will tweet it, and like the people that had the five Stark Villains hoodies on. Guys, I shared that with all of my kids. And I was like, you know, I said, look at how amazing this is. It means so much to me that you guys are so supportive of me. It is never anything that I take for granted, whether it be you sharing the show or, or buying or, or your, your wife bought you some Stark Villains gear. It's outstanding, man. It really is. It means so much to me. And I get a little melancholy this time of year because you begin to think about, man, look how far we've come. You know, look at what we've done this past year. Jeans Page is doing fantastic. And, uh, you know, we've got an exciting year in front of us. And uh, I'm very grateful for our team. And there were some, there were some growing pains after the merger. But uh, very, 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 very grateful to, to partner uh, you know, of course, with Gene Swindoll and Dave Murray and Paul Jones, Mike Nemeth, Robbie Falk. Um, you know, it's, I just feel like it's the best thing going. And, um, you know, three years ago, if you told me that, I probably wouldn't have felt that way. But life has a way of kind of working things out for you, what's best for you. And so um, I have committed myself and, and used my talents as best I can to help tell the Mississippi State story. And that's what I plan to do for the duration of my life. And I've had so many people say, hey, Steve, what, you know, what do you think about this? And I've had so many people that have ideas, and uh, sometimes I just don't have a chance to do it all. I just There's not enough time in the day. But I'm very content, and I'm very happy doing what I do for you because you are the people that I care about. I don't need to go break a bunch of national news. I just want to share the big maroon picture with each of you as often as I can on every medium that I can. And so I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your support of me, the Boneyard, Jeans Page, all the books, the Stark Villains gear. Uh, it means more to me than I can really articulate. And I, I'm a guy that's rarely ever at a loss for words. Uh, but when I see those pictures, and uh, Christmas Day is always emotional for me, not just because of the fact that I'm, I'm always so grateful that I can do great things for my kids. I know many of you feel the same way. Like, you know, being able to, to give them you know, the things they want for Christmas. That is something, you know, I, man, when I was a kid, we grew up broke as the Ten Commandments, man, we had nothing. And I was so grateful to get anything for Christmas. And there were so many things that I didn't understand about life. It's like, well, you know, because you believe in Santa Claus, right? And you think, well, why didn't I get this? Maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe I didn't do this, you know, and you don't really understand how the world works when you're, you know, six, seven or eight, you know. Um, But I'm very grateful to be able to do that for my kids. And, and then every time I get on social media on Christmas Day, I've got messages or I'm tagged in pictures because you guys have gotten my books or you guys have gotten my merchandise. Um, anyway, it, it means something to me. It really does. It's not ever anything that I take for granted. It's not because, I mean, I mean, you don't know that to me. You don't. And uh, this is a relationship. I feel like it is. And um, I just wanted to tell you, 2021 has been great. It's been great for me. It's been great for Mississippi State in many respects. It's been great for our fan base. And while we may not always agree on everything, and the chances that it happened are pretty slim, we were all pretty happy in July. <laughs> we were celebrating the national championship. There really wasn't much to complain about. And I will cherish that the rest of my life. And I know you guys do as well. And so every time somebody comes up and says, hey, man, I enjoy the show, or Steve, I enjoy Gene's page and enjoy the books, uh, it is fuel for the journey because there are many days and many nights that I spend by myself. And uh, I can tell you those, uh, 
you know, those, those long trips back from College Station or Gainesville or Columbia, South Carolina, you know, when I'm, you know, fueled up on truck stop coffee, just trying to make life work and get home uh, to Starkville. I take that privilege of being able to be your eyes and ears when Mississippi State is on the road very, very seriously. I do. And the fact that you guys have been so wonderful to reciprocate uh, that support and that love is something that that really, really means a lot to me. So let me go before I start crying with you guys, because uh, that's not really what I want to do. But it has been a great year for the Boneyard and a great year for Gene's Page. And it's been a great year for all of us. And so I wish you all a happy new year. And uh, let's go win it again. How about that? Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.